1: by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now on with the show. Today on the show, Alan Stevelman joins us to talk about his new film, Witness of Another World.
2: Before I made this, this movie, I had two questions. One of them was if there is a connection between our, the ancestry or the lineage and the UFO phenomenon on people that had this kind of encounters. And the other question was if there is a connection between the afterlife and the UFO phenomenon also.
0: This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan spread.
1: Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. A few months ago, I'd heard through several colleagues of a film coming out in Argentina about a man who had a close encounter experience. I'd seen every UFO or alien-themed documentary under the sun, and some were decent. Some were mediocre, and some were just plain awful. So when I'd heard about this project, I originally brushed it off as just another fringe documentary. But then, I saw the trailer. And then, I reached out to the director. Having not spoken to many UFO researchers in America yet, he was very excited to hear of my interest. I screened the film that night, and then I watched it again, and again, and again. Testigo de Otro Mundo, or Witness of Another World, is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful stories to ever be told about the UFO, experience or phenomenon. It's a deeply profound and powerful journey through the heart of Juan Perez, a lonely farmer who secludes himself from society for over 30 years after having a UFO close encounter. But with the help of filmmaker Alan Stiegelman and the work of several Argentinian researchers and famed astrophysicist Jacques Vallée, pieces of the puzzle begin to emerge, and it's piecing together the life of a broken man in order to find his purpose and place in the world. Today Alan and I talk all about the film, his thoughts on the UFO phenomenon, and just how human these possible alien encounters can truly make us feel. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies.
2: Thank you, Ryan, for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: It is such an honor to speak to you after having viewed your film about five times now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Um. You know, before we even get to uh, what the film is about and uh how you made the film, I have to say, it is probably one of the most beautiful documentaries and most heartfelt documentaries I've ever seen, especially within the UFO topic. So I have to congratulate you, first and foremost.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, your work means a lot to me.
1: Before we get to the film Witness of Another World, Alan, I'd like to maybe ask you how you became... A filmmaker, where did your interest in filmmaking first start?
2: It started when I was 15 years old. At that time, I was studying IT, and I was a programmer in my high school. But after some, some time, when I was in my literature class, I discussed a lot with a professor about movies, about cinema, about messages in the movies, And he showed me a movie that changed my mind and my mindset completely. The title of this movie is El Topo from Alexander Khodorowski. And it's a very surreal film that changed my perception completely. After I saw that movie, I didn't understand anything (laughs) about what I was seeing. But I felt something inside of me that... Change me. I don't know why, what. And after that, I said, I want to make movies that can change people in a, in a way that it's not like a regular movie that has a story behind an ending. This, for example, in, in El Topo, it's a, it's like a big puzzle of images, of sounds, of actions. And I want to transmit that same feeling. Into my audience, and that's the, the beginning of, of my career and, and my on my journey of filmmaking.
1: That's fantastic, Ellen. I mean, I know I have the same sort of feeling. I I write movies, fiction movies, and I remember my first film that really inspired me was by Alfred Hitchcock, which was Vertigo, mm. and uh, wow. I had the same feeling of I didn't quite know or understand what I was seeing, what I was hearing, but I knew that it was uh it was affecting me in a very raw or visceral way. And uh mm. that inspired me to then create stories. So as a fellow, you know, filmmaker slash writer, I-, I know that feeling well. Yeah,
2: the same feeling here. Yes.
1: Absolutely. Well that brings us to to the film that we're gonna be discussing today, Witness of another world. So maybe before we get to a lot of what the, the film represents, you know, these, these bigger philosophical questions, how did you first hear about the story of Juan Perez and what happened to him as a child?
2: Well, the long, short story is that uh, it was 2013 and I was doing automatic writing by that time, and I was writing a story about an abduction of a couple that was abducted by strange entities. And I was not involved in the UFO phenomenon nor aliens. But that time, I didn't know nothing about that. My only focus uh, uh, on my research side was just to dig into the mystery of a lost civilization in the world. About what is below earth, about my passion was archaeology. And it was strange for me to, to start writing about this kind of stuff. So then after 30 pages of writing, I stopped. It was a, a fiction story. And then I started to investigate this, this field, this new field for me. And then I, when I was walking by my neighborhood, I stopped onto a bookstore and I bought an, I used book that it was about cases, uh, abduction cases in Argentina. It was written by an, uh, a psychiatrist, Dr. Nesto Berlanda, who is one of the characters of the movie. And then when I was in Rosario, a city near Buenos Aires, four hours away, I was presenting my previous movie, Humano. And what happened is that in the audience was Dr. Nestor Berlanda seeing my movie and I was grabbing his book while I was speaking to the audience. In, and it was a hell of synchronicity. We look each other and we said that we need to meet each other. We need to speak about this. This is not something by chance. And the next day while we were having a pizza, he's starting to speak about his most significant case, that was the Juan Perez case. And he showed to me as a video that was when Juan was uh, 18 years old, he was speaking into an audience. And when he started to say, like, well, what happened to me was he broke down. It's one of the first scenes in my movie. And then I realized that I was seeing something that was true. I was in front of a broken teenager that was like struggling between his his own beliefs and he wasn't like allowed to, to express himself and it was a UFO audience. They all want to believe him but in, inside of him he was saying like no one is going to believe me. So uh, immediately after I asked Berlanda Dr. Néstor Berlanda to meet Juan and 4 months later I meet Juan and it was one of the most significant encounters that I ever had
1: After that you you read the case reports on Juan's experience and you decided yeah. to to meet him so what was that what was that first meeting like what, was he what you expected or something completely different
2: it was something completely different because it was the first time that I met some, someone who, who had an encounter, who had a supernatural encounter. It was my first experience with a contactee. So I remember that I was, I was recording the whole encounter with him and then he suddenly started to speak to me about his case, about his encounter. And then he broke down, he started to cry, and then I stopped my camera because I wasn't able to, to keep recording while he was crying. It was very emotional for me. And then I just sat down next to him and just listened, and I started to feel very not awkward. It's not the accurate word. It's more like I I, feel, I started to feel more like strange. I don't know what, but Juan is a very special person and something from his aura, just to put a word, start to like embrace to me. And, and it was really, I spent like four or five hours with him and with Dr. Nestor Berlanda. And after our meeting, he's, he, he said to us like, please don't leave me. Come back again. We are now friends and though those words like kept echoing in my head for three years but after that meeting but that time i only wanted to make a short film about this story but while i was editing this this short footage i wasn't be able to keep doing it i don't know why probably because i had to do this the this movie but but that time i didn't know that so i like step away that that footage I, and I started to dig into the UFO phenomenon I read all the books from Jacques Vallée I read plenty of books during the time of three years and after that time I, I started to feel more secure to make this film and I went again to Benaltuerto the hometown of, of Juan and I asked him the permission to start making this project and he said yes and that's the beginning of this this little story
1: this little story that becomes something very very big and powerful and uh in the official synopsis of your film juan is a self-proclaimed gaucho so could you explain to maybe our american audience alan what what is a gaucho what would that be considered oh, well, here in north america
2: well the, the simple way to express is like the gaucho they are like the cowboys from south america mm-hmm. a gaucho is a skilled horseman reputed to be brave and wild they are mainly they are mestizos persons of mixed blood half blood are indigenous and the other part are from spain so that's the best way to to describe them
1: it sort of is almost the what you would not expect Juan to be you would expect him to be very very manly you know very uh yeah. macho and very
2: crude yeah
1: yeah yeah like we we view the western cowboys here in in america and he is such a a man filled with emotion and it's clear that whatever happened to him as a child affected him Very traumatically. And I think that's what really, really brings the viewer into the film is whatever happened to Juan. It affected him in many, many ways. And he's very forthcoming about his emotions. And you were able to pull that out of him, I think.
2: Yes, it was not that easy, an easy job. But when I was having like plenty of meetings with him, I started to saw him as a, a broken child because in the outside you see like a brave man, very big because Juan is pretty big. Yeah. He's a hunter. He's a hunter. He also hunts with his knife, only with his knife. He doesn't use any kind of guns and he only hunt for for eating purposes. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not recreational. So you see like a, he's a brave man, but behind those sides... I was seeing like a broken child that needs that, that was needing he, he was asking or screaming for help.
1: And I think you know as the movie progresses, he he finds that help in many ways, which we will get to. But I think for our audience, Ellen, maybe we should give them a little idea of what the actual experience is that Juan had. I mean, we don't want to give away too much, obviously, but. This was what would we consider this a close encounter of the, the second kind, maybe well, the third it's, kind.
2: It's it's hard it's hard to explain because when I was discussing this case with with Doctor Jack Ballet, it's not a typical abduction case right. because Juan voluntarily voluntarily enters into this ship, so it's like in the middle from third or fourth. We don't know, but it, the the. The real case, what happened, it's like it was six o'clock in the morning, September 6 1978. Juan left his home to find the herd of horses to start the field work in, in his farm. Every day he, he did the same thing because before going to the school, he needed to make, to make all the works in the farm. That's the way his father, like, initiate him. So, it was six o'clock in the morning. Juan rides his horse, horse cometa. It's comet in English. And he, after, after some minutes, he looked above his head and see, and he saw, like, three lights dancing very frenetically. And he, his dog, his dog, sorry, his horse <laughs> w- was getting a little bit upset, and he was really, really mad, and and Juan like got really scared because he he was afraid to fall fall off his horse, and then he comes back to his house and tells his his father like, father, father, there is a, there are big lights in the sky. What should I do? And his father told him like. I sent you to find the herd of horses. Don't bother me with anything else, just go and do your work. And then he climbs again his 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 horse, he rides and he saw like a big fog, not the typically fog on on during the dawn. It was really strange fog and he he passes and after that he found like a big It it was like a big object, a very, very shiny white. And he thought that he was seeing like a tractor or the house of workers from the farm. He wasn't afraid, but his horse was really scared. So he fall off. He got off the, the horse and he goes into next to the, this, let's say ship and a ladder went off the, the door, the doors opened and a big, a big, like, being shows up and says, no, not, not says, sorry. He, like, do with his hand an invitation to, to climb up and enter that ship. So Juan climbs that ladder. It was really hard for him to climb up because the stairs were really, really tall. And then when he's inside of this ship, he saw two things. On his left side, there was a small being, like a meter or a meter and a half, that was cutting meat on a table. This small being had, instead of uh, hands, he had scissors. And he was cutting a meat without blood. There was no blood in those meats that were in, in that table. And in the right side, he was seeing this tall being that was like two meters and a half, three meters. And he was like doing some gestures with his hands and some monitors were in front of him. He was like making some coordinations. I don't know. But one of the biggest details in this experience was that in front of Juan, there was like a mirror or a, a transparent mirror, something like an, an electromagnetic field that Juan couldn't pass through that glass. When he tries to, to enter to the space of these beings, he wasn't allowed. But at the, the small being with his, because instead of uh, legs, this small being had wheels. So he was able to cross from one side to the other, but Juan couldn't. And after a while, the door started to close, and the, and Juan realized that his horse was like uh, really mad and was really afraid, not from the beans, he was afraid of his father, because his father was really severe and he was really strict with, with Juan. And then he climbs down and he realized that his, his horse was, were, was injured because he was kicking to the ladder. And what happened? Two, 24 hours later, his, his horse died. Oh, yeah. Now I want to stop here because two things happened with, after this, this case. In the original reports, it says that the tall being helped Juan to, to climb up to the, to the horse and then Juan goes back to his house with a globe that was a gift from this tall being. He was, he told Juan that I want to give, give, give it this to you because I want you to show to, to your family as a proof of our contact. But before he, he could go to, to his house, three small a uh, light came out of this big ship and took that globe before Juan could could uh, enter his house. Mm. But in our movie, what we did is a regression. We practiced for the first time a regression to Juan in order to see if some lost memories could come up into into the narrative. And it, and it did. There is a part that Juan, the distal being, Grabs the arm of Juan, the right arm, and started to squeeze it. And after that, Juan started to have like a vision. Let's say a vision, because I don't know what happened to him. And I don't want to say what, what he saw, but what he saw was not part of the original reports. So that was a real, a real surprise. For me and for Dr. Néstor Berlanda, also for Dr. Jacques Ballet, And when he saw that, Juan started to cry a lot. It was a very emotional part. And we were doing like two hours of regression. And Dr. Néstor Berlanda decided to stop it right there. And that's why we couldn't finish the original story from the reports. But for me, it doesn't care. Because it was more powerful what happened to Juan and with that vision rather than that to stay focused on the, on the original case report and make the recreation very accurate what on, on, on that original report.
1: And I think, you know, what, what he, this vision that he had is plays a big role in how he interprets the experience later in his yeah. life um and i yes. want to talk about that in in a few moments but ellen you did mention the the recreations and my god my friend. friend these things were stunning the special effects that you used to do these these reenactments so i have to ask you uh who did your special effects and uh what was it like working with actors to recreate as accurate as possible, mm-hmm. what happened, Juan?
2: Well, for me, it was an amazing experience, not from the production side, because it took us the half of our budget, just <laughs> <a> 10 <laughs> minutes of, of, course, of, of the course. field, but we, it was a great experience. It was my first experience working with BFX, and um, a small team of BFX artists did those those scenes. And when you mentioned the actor, it was a great experience dealing with with little Juan. His name is Lucas. And I was doing like a casting because I was trying to find some child who can ride a horse. It's not easy to find actors in Buenos Aires because it's a city that knows how to deal with horses. (laughs) And Lucas was the last one. And he... And he didn't know how to ride a horse. But what? why do, did I choose him? Well, during the casting, this is a, a really funny anecdote. During the casting, I asked the actor to see the sky and try to see that they are seeing like an elephant with wings. I didn't want to mention a UFO or a, or a spacecraft. I just want to to, to recreate an image that is bizarre for them and try to see their eyes, the way they look at this object. And Lucas was the last one. And, and I said to him, well, look, look, an elephant with wings. And, but I was really tired because he was the last one. And, and I said, you know what? In the sky, there is a UFO. There is a space, a spacecraft and you have to see it. Oh, a, a UFO. The one that my mother saw when he was 20 years old. Oh, I, I'm a really, I'm a really fan of UFO. Look at my notebook. And he showed me at his notebook and there were drawings uh, uh, about UFO, the materials that they had. He was doing like a very strict research and he was 12 years old. Wow. So, and I said to him, you know what? You are higher. You are the one. <laughs>
1: Again, the synchronicities just keep coming back. It seems.
2: Yeah, it wasn't a synchronicity. Yes, And um, and when and when Jack Ballet came to to Argentina, we made like a special meeting with little Juan and Jack Ballet, and Jack Ballet gave to him a T shirt from the NASA. Some letters it was a really nice experience
1: (laughs) that's so cool you know meeting again jacques valet is the the rock star of ufology for no matter what country you come from (laughs) um and we will definitely talk about jacques valet and how he became a part of this but uh before we get to that alan i want to ask you about uh traveling to paraguay to interview several members (laughs) of the uh the Guarani people, distant ancestors of Juan. So how did you come to discover that this is where Juan, you know, his lineage or his ancestors came from? And what did they have to say about Juan's experience? Imagine the softest sheets you've
0: ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
2: Thank you for asking this because it's for me it's one of the most important things on, on the film. Absolutely. Well the story is that my first step in this project in this project was to go to Paraguay. Because before I made this this movie, I had two questions. One of them was if there is a connection between our the ancestry or the lineage and the UFO phenomenon on people that had this kind of encounters. And the other question was if there is a connection between the afterlife and the UFO phenomenon also. So that was my biggest question while I was shooting this story. So I went to Paraguay because I wanted to have the answer from the spiritual leaders of the Warani tribe, the Warani people that are the blood of one. So I went there, I met three communities that are one of, they are very, very close communities because Warani people are very strict with, with their connection with white people. Of they have their reasons, of course. Of course. And
1: <laughs> I completely understand.
2: <laughs> when I was there, I met three, two wise men and one wise woman, and it was a really powerful experience because when I met the first one, Plutarco, he started to say to me that like, this phenomenon is real, but it's not real at the same time. And I said, like, what do you mean by that? And he started to describe in his words, because when you talk with shamans or with indigenous people. The way they speak, it's very abstract, very se- symbolic, and you need to decipher what they are telling you. Mm. So they were describing me of this phenomenon as an holographic phenomenon. And while he was speaking to me about this, I remember all the books from Jacques Ballet explaining us the theory of interdimensional uh, theory about that this phenomenon. Could come from another dimension, and they were telling the same thing. And another thing that they mentioned to me is that this kind of encounter happens to people with good heart, with pureness, with innocence, and that that feeling, and, and yes, th- that thing was one of the most significant things that one had. Right. Because one is purely hard, it's pure hard, it's so innocent, and the other thing was like it's it's something that got me a little bit scared. It is not part from it's not in the movie, but because it was really hard to explain. But they, Sylvia especially told me that this phenomenon has two sides. One side represents. The goodness and the other side represents the evilness. Mm. So she was trying to say like, we don't have to be blinded by, by those, these things. We don't have to be blinded by the, by the light that comes from the sky. We need to, we as human beings, we need to be able to, how do you, say, how do I say? decipher or, or decode which sites belongs that phenomenon that is happening for a reason, mm-hmm. of course. But sometimes art they have like bad intentions for us. So we it, it's not good to make like a cult or a religion around this kind of phenomenon. We need to be very very like practical. And she told to Juan that this happened because Juan needed to believe he was trying to find himself in that time because he was 12 years old. And for for the shamanic world, the year of 12 is very important because it's the transformation into a grown man, into an adult. And there are plenty of reads of passage. To summarize, for them... One had initiation, a shamanic initiation, but it was like stopped because, but that time he hadn't a shaman that could guide him into this world. But forty years after, he, uh, uh, forty years after, thanks to our work with Jacques Vale, with Dr. Nestor Bralanda, with all the shamans, one could integrate his experience. And understand why this happened to him because that was the only question that I had, he had all the night. Why this happened to me?
1: That seems to be the biggest question with any contactee or experiencer. Uh, it's not so much what is the phenomenon, who is in control of it, but why? Why me? And I, I've, exactly. I've spoken to many experiencers and that is their first question is why was i chosen or why did this become a part of my life and that is a question they may be asking themselves until you know they they leave this mortal earth but for one i think you're right he he finally was able to finish the initiation that seemed to have been interrupted at such such a young age exactly exactly and I know, moving forward after the experience, uh, Juan had many dreams, and dreams play a big role both in Juan's own life and and in the lives of the uh, the Guarani people as well, Alan. So could you maybe tell us the connections you and Juan made in terms of the dreams he had after the experience? Well, that's a good question because
2: when I when Juan started to speak. To me about his contact, his experience, I wasn't be able to find traces of the trauma because it was, it was not a, a traumatic experience. It was more like a, yeah, a contact with strange beings, but there was no surgery, there was no experiment, something yeah. very sc- scary could, that could lead you to a very traumatic, uh, whole. So after a while of research, I realized that the most terrific part for Juan was the, the consequences of this encounter. Because immediately after his contact, he started to have premonition dreams, precognitive dreams that was a truly nightmare for him because he was dreaming about accidents, about death from relatives, from friends, and plenty of them happened and he couldn't stop them. So it was really frustrate, frustrating for him. So I wanted to understand what was the process of those dreams. And Juan told me that if he dreams in his le- right side, the, the side of his mark, because Juan, after this tall being squeezed, His arm, he, he had like a small scar in his, in his arm. Mm -hmm. And when he dreams with his right arm, he tell, he, he, he tells me that he goes into a real dream, more real than our reality. That's the way he described them. But if he dreams into the, he, the left side, he will have, like, regular visions like we do in when we dream. Interesting. Very interesting. And then I realized the other thing that the Guarani people, the, the way that they connect to the spiritual world is thanks to the dreams. They go to sleep and they dream about the question that some people had. For example, if I have an a illness and I want to have an answer, the shaman goes to, be, goes, goes to bed, and the morning after, he will tell me the answer of my, my, of my pain. So Juan, in a way, the, the, the phenomenon, the contact, triggered him, his own gift from his, from his people. But he didn't know that.
1: It's that... Discovery, that self-discovery, and having someone to help guide you. So the fact that he was now able to to communicate with the shamans, that must have been a very special moment for both him and for your film. I would assume.
2: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Because at that time, while we were shooting, Juan was Juan was thinking that he was the only one that had this kind of experience. He never he never knew that there are plenty of cases around the world, there are people that are having dreams like the Warani. And um, he felt that he was really, really alone in the, in this like this trip. Because around his his people there were no one who had this kind of experience. And Juan doesn't have internet now he doesn't use like a cell phone. So it's really Really simple, the way he lives.
1: Right, and a lot of people believe that that, you know, that is actually a good thing, you know. I I know in the film, uh many of the Guarani people speak of the distractions that occur. Yeah. You know, mostly, uh, well, throughout the entire world, but here in America as well, we have so many distractions, whether it's politics or celebrities or... Or any of these things in our day-to-day life that distract us from opening that door to the you know, shamanic world. And it, it hmm. seems so easy for someone like the, the shamans or the Guarani people specifically to accept these phenomena. That they just are a fact. They exist. When many in other countries refuse to either believe that or accept that into their lives... I mean, here in America, our own government is just now acknowledging the UFO phenomenon officially <laughs> when for 70 years they have denied it. So I find that very interesting. The, the difference between cultures and how they interpret and accept or reject the UFO phenomenon.
2: Totally. Me too. Yeah. Me too.
1: Well, Sort of the individual, Alan, that I would say was the bridge between cultures in this incident was Jacques Vallée. One of the most important moments for me in the film. How did that come about? How were you able to get Jacques Vallée, the man who does not do many movies, interviews, documentaries, uh, how did you get him to be involved with your film?
2: Well, uh, the the story was that I wrote him a letter... Telling him that I was doing this film and that Juan was not feeling well after his experience. He got a big trauma and 30 years later he, he still have it, has it. And my only request was to go to San Francisco and make an interview to him. And one month later I received an email Saying that I was, he was really sad about Juan, and, and but that time I didn't know that he would remember that case because it it one, it was one of plenty of cases that he studied. But then I realized that uh, he came to Argentina in 1980 with his wife, and his wife Janine was a child psychologist. And was a truly special case for them. It was a very, yes, yeah, special because it was, it, it was involved, uh, it, it involves a child. Right. So it, 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 they really care about this kind of, of cases. And he told me that he was really sad about Juan, that he couldn't integrate his experience. And um, He was also inviting me to San Francisco to make this interview. And I said, like, yeah. I made it, and, and I start, and I, and then I finish that letter. But one sentence before I finish, it says like something like, "I don't want to bother you or interrupt your project or your idea, but I think it could be a great idea if I come down and go to Argentina to help Juan and to stay with you guys." Oh wow! And I say, "Oh my God, what a gift!" And it was a truly gift for me and for all of, all of us. And I, and then I started to change my script, to change my, my points of view, my, my ideas. And all my, yeah, all my, my idea now was try, was focused mainly to help Juan. That was the only mission on our movie. But I have to say, That in the beginning of this project, the idea was to get answers of this phenomenon. To try to explain what is this UFO phenomenon, what we are dealing with. (laughs) But I had to turn over because I was dealing with a broken man asking for help just by the way he looks. And yet I had to quit the other idea, the previous one. And then I only focus on the human aspect of the UFO phenomenon.
1: Which I firmly believe, Alan, uh, I can agree that that is much more important than what actually lay at the source of the phenomenon. It's how it affects us and how it changes yes. us and how it, how it humanizes us even makes us more human than we were before. And, uh, I think that came across uh, through the lens of your camera so well. And um one of those ways I think you really helped Juan is you found other witnesses who had seen things at the same time as his event. And, you know, without giving away too much, Carlos and Roberto were two individuals who almost vindicated or validated the experience of Juan. Am I correct in that?
2: Yeah, you are correct. And Jack Ballet was the one who encouraged me go to find them because they, they are, they were under the radar. Hmm. And after some research, I found them and I asked them to be part of my movie. I will do some little interviews and that's it. And the two of them were really open about that idea. Uh, but they are still really scared about what happened Third, more than 30 years ago, and the the good thing is that Juan was the only one who go into into the contact. He he wanted to have that contact, but Carlos and Roberto they ran away immediately after because Roberto was a like riding a bicycle, and then a big light, red light started to. To, to like him. And he was like stood. And then he ran away. And Carlos the same. And, um, but one of the good things that I noticed from them is the innocence. And, and then I, rem- I remember the words from Plutarco that this kind of experience happened to people that are play- like they, they have good hearts, they are innocent. And I saw like a connection between Juan, Carlos, and Roberto because the three of, of them had like a, a child expression in their eyes. And I make like a reunion with. The, there is a scene that I, it's not part of the movie that Carlos, the carpenter, and Juan meet each other, and it was a really nice gathering because they, they started to speak about the their experience and, and it was really, really, really fun to see each other. It was like an X-Men reunion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Talking I, about their powers. Right. Yeah. I can only imagine. I would love... I hope you'll do bonus content where we can see yeah, that Yeah, I scene. will. Cool, cool. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that was a very powerful moment for all three of them and... Uh, Wow, that's fascinating. Well, Ellen, I, I do want to ask you a big focus in the film as well is consciousness and, uh, how that plays a role in all this. And that seems to be something you and Jacques Valet have in common when it came to your discoveries, uh, in trying to understand what the phenomenon is. And, uh, you personally in the film, you say that it's almost like proje- projections on a movie screen. And that that is a good analogy for you, the filmmaker, to say. Um <laughs> so could you maybe elaborate on what you mean by this projections on a movie screen in relation to how consciousness may be a part of the UFO phenomenon? Well oof it's it's, it's a big hard <laughs> to explain
2: yeah. It's one one of the biggest um when I read the book of Carl Jung, the famous psychologist mm-hmm. that speaks about the UFO phenomenon, he tells us two things that the UFO phenomenon has um, a physical aspect, and he's not an expert from that field, but he's an expert in psychology, so he focused on the psychology consequences on those encounters. And it was really visible in Juan, in Juan's case. You can perceive that there was a specific consequence on his conscious, and after that he was able to have those dreams, these pre-cognitive or premonition dreams. But Juan, at that time, he wasn't able to like to to trace a connection between his contact and those dreams. Mm-hmm. And apparently, many of the witnesses are not able to trace this connection. For example, in the case of Carlos, I ask plenty of things that are related to some powers or, or some strange things that could happen to him after the contact, and he always tells me, no, no, I had a normal life, nothing happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Every time the peace tells me the same thing, that they had a, re- a really normal life, that it was something that was mm, random, perhaps. But after a while of chatting, he told me an experience that he was cutting wood in, on his machines, and suddenly one of his fingers was cut off, and he, he, he took he, the, the rest of his finger And he realized that no blood was coming out of his finger. And it was really strange for him. And then he go, he goes to the hospital and the doctor said, what the hell? Why is no blood in in your finger? And he said that I don't know. And there was a common joke among his family that says like, you are, you were being helped by the, by your friend, the aliens, (laughs) because everyone was laughing at him. But the other part was that Juan eh, Carlos told this experience to Juan, and Juan replied to him like the same happened to me when when my leg was cut off. No blood came out of my my leg, and then I start to realize that plenty of contactees are not able to to make connections with these things because they they took that as a as an accident or a no, because they don't want to feel special. When you have a real contactee, you, you know that they are telling the truth because they don't want nothing from, from it. They prefer to never happen to him. It's more like a curse rather than a gift. So I, I truly believe in Carlos, Roberto and Juan experience because of that, because they don't, they are not winning money doing some lectures about their their contacts or helping others, etc. So a- after a while of, of research, I started to see that the impact on their conscious is real, but the bad part is that it's really hard for them to integrate that experience because it's more in a sub- subconscious level, the impact rather than in a rational or the conscious level.
1: You know, for anybody, it's it's very hard to even begin to comprehend consciousness. We don't know what consciousness is or is not even. So, you know, if this is the only way the phenomenon can really communicate with us, or Mm. like you say, project certain images to us to convey their message... Maybe that is the only way that we can ever connect with the phenomenon. In the fact that it's happening through dreams or through the subconscious, it's fascinating. Exactly.
2: Now you are saying this: the shamans had it like they they
1: perceive
2: the world of dreams as a much more real thing than our our reality when we are wake up. So for them, it's more the. The the dream world is way much more important than our reality. And we don't know what reality means. We don't know nothing about what is reality.
1: That's a very good point, you know. And we we often think, you know, when we are asleep and we dream, that we have to wake up from the dream. When in reality, truly waking up could be in this other world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's... I I think we're on to something there, Ellen, for sure. (laughs) Um, Well, I have to ask, um, in terms of those who do experience these things, Ellen, uh, abductees, experiencers, they become, a lot of them become obsessed with the phenomenon after they experience it. I had a UFO sighting when I was 12 years old, and I became completely obsessed. It consumed my entire life. You know, I now do a mm. weekly podcast about uFOs and <laughs> it it runs most of my life you know to my my girlfriend's <laughs> dismay but um do you do you think it's our place to uh to try to figure out what the phenomenon are, or should we just mm. experience it and appreciate it when it happens uh because for some people that obsession be can become unhealthy i would i would say yes some. So yeah. what do you think? Well,
2: I think could the answer could be both, but mm, the half of both, because yeah. Yeah. I think an obsession is not good for anyone. Any kind of obsession is not good because no extremes are good in our lives. But the, the, it's not good also to just live that experience and that's it, to ignore it. Because I think... It's just my own ex, my own idea is the, this happened for a reason. And each contactee or each experiencer had to deal why this happened to, to, why this happened to it. <laughs> I don't think that we, the, the mission is to figure out what is the phenomenon. It's more like I will take the words of Grandfather Francisco, the last shaman in the movie, that said that Juan was asking to himself. He was seeking into his inner world, trying to figure it out, what is life, what is death. Because remember, when Juan was 10 years old, he lost his grandfather. And he his grandfather was everything to him. And at the age of 12, he was feeling really lonely really lonely trying to get answers and he got an answer from the spiritual world in a a way that he couldn't integrate or he couldn't interpret So I think that it's really important. It's like, it's like a carrot in front of us to, and it's that lead us to find answers to our inner questions Mm -hmm. and it, I remember now the scene from Morpheus in Matrix that he has two pills and you have to choose if you want the blue pill or the rose pink or the red pill. Mm-hmm. I think the phenomenon asks us the same thing. If we want to still, uh, dreaming or we need, we want to wake up and see what is our reality? What is it, this phenomenon? What are this connection? I think the UFO phenomenon is the most important phenomenon that hacks our world, our reality.
1: That's a very interesting, yeah, way to put it. it. It may be the only, the only, uh, phenomenon or, you know, technology that was able to jump over that hurdle and communicate with us. I, I, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to ask Ellen, do you still speak to Juan? Uh, do you think he'll ever travel? to america to talk about his story is that something you you could see as a possibility
2: well it will depend on him but if he gets an invitation i think he will say yes because he loves to talk to people he he's really he's really friendly he's really warm (laughs) and now he has no fears he now he's a resolute man he can he can speak about his experience without crying so it's, it's a lot. And yes, I'm still having plenty of conversation with him after three years. Uh, I used to, to speak with him twice a month or once a month. If I can speak with one, I will speak with, with his siblings because he has seven siblings. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's a big family. So I'm, I'm really close to, to them. I'm really close because it was not a healing process just to Juan, it was a healing process to his whole family, to his whole community. Just to give you an idea when we sh- when we showed the movie in the cinema from Veracruz, his hometown, the half of the cinema was full of Perez family, the family of Juan, and after the movie was done, everyone was crying. And they, they went to straight into, to, to Juan and started to embrace him, started to say like, I'm so sorry, brother. I'm sorry that I never trust on you. Now I understand you. Now I understand why you ran away and lived all of this life, like in the loneliness. So I'm so sorry. And it was a really, Hard experience to witness that, but it was really, like, healing. It yeah. was really healing.
1: For me, Alan, I, I cannot tell you just how powerful the film was and how important I think it is. And, and I can say this, I have never once cried during a UFO mm-hmm. documentary, and I cried on several occasions. So you definitely did something right.
2: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, it, this documentary wasn't, wasn't meant to, to cry, but it, it touched you. It touched your heart because, in a way, after you see this message, probably you will get some closure in your, in your life. Juan could close a circle, thanks, thanks to the movie, and I have to tell you that Jack Valet also closed a circle because it was a really special the last time he came to Argentina was with his with his wife in some way he closed a circle about that intimate how do i say like idea More. or i don't know what happened with his wife but it was really emotional for him to be there again with Juan in Argentina talking about the, the this phenomenon that after 30 years It got us, like, reunited all together. It was really, really emotional for us.
1: Absolutely. And I think you make a very good point that, you know, while it affects the individual having the experience, those investigating it or interviewing the people also are deeply affected by, by the story, by the phenomenon, and by the people having it. So, for Jacques, for you, for me, for every person who sees the movie, it's going to have a different effect and maybe answer some questions, but maybe pose new questions, which I think is even more important.
2: Totally, totally. Well, I think that that's the reason why we opened the door with this movie. We, we didn't want to, to get like straight answers about what the UFO phenomenon is, <laughs> so it could lead us to, to, to have plenty of new questions.
1: I love that. Well, I have to ask you, would you would you want to or do you plan on making any other films about the UFO phenomenon? Or was this it for you?
2: No, it's not it. I I have also a TV series idea trying to portray plenty of witnesses around the world, and also my next project is not about UFO phenomenon specifically. It's about what is below earth, about this lost civilization. But but I know for sure that there is a connection between this UFO the UFO phenomenon and this lost civilization also.
1: Oh that's great. So you're returning to your your yeah. original interest in in yeah. mysteries. I love that. It's all come full yeah. circle.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a full circle for me also. Yes, I, I I wanted to make this happen because I will end my like let's say trilogy of documentaries and then I want to jump into fiction, that it's my, my real
1: passion. I completely understand that. Yep. I am the same way. Well, uh, <laughs> Ellen, when, when and where can we find the film Witness of Another World here in America?
2: Well, the film will be released on October 22nd on multiple platforms and you can have the direct information if you go into our website. It's witnessofanotherworld.com
1: Perfect. And uh I, I kind of want to end saying this to you, Ellen. Juan represents something truly special, I think, in all of us. And I left your film believing more than ever that the phenomenon has many layers and perhaps even many sources, motivations. But I think what is most important is how it affects us on a human level. And it's reflected so beautifully in the film, it puts that mirror back onto us, and uh, I truly feel that Witness to Another World will be a very important piece in this very mysterious, weird puzzle as we move forward. Hmm. So I have to thank you, my friend, for, for the film, and for also joining me on Somewhere in the Skies.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for inviting me, and and I'm really glad that you like the film.
1: That's it for this week's episode. Again, you can view Witness of Another World beginning October 22nd on most all streaming platforms. To learn more and to watch the film, visit witnessofanotherworld.com. Please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, your Android apps, or wherever you get the show. It helps us out tremendously. I'm still looking for a couple of personal UFO stories for the next volume of Witness accounts. If you'd like to share your story on the show, contact me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or through the contact tab on the website, somewhereintheskies.com. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. Thank you as always to E1, Rogue Planet, KGRA Radio, and especially to you for listening. I'll see you here next week, and remember... Keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the sky.
0: Produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit Entertainment One Podcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery, soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,